The word peace is The word peace is common in most languages.
There, how's that? There we go. So I was asked to, uh, well, I asked Luke if he wanted me to fill in for him this week, and he uh, gladly took me up on that. I wasn't so sure I was glad he took me up on that, but, um, but we'll give it a go this morning. Uh, and the, the subject of this morning is, is peace in the Advent season. Um, and so in, in some ways, it's a, it's a nice, nice for you preparation to already have your subject uh, prepared for you and, and know how to go about that. Um, but when we look at peace, uh, we see it uh, in advertising now this time of year, peace, uh, the Christmas season's about peace. Um, people say they want peace. We often hear the, the women in beauty pageants say they would like to have world peace. And if you, if you don't say they want world peace, you're immediately disqualified from the, from the competition. Um, but people say they want peace, but usually what that means is after I win, I want peace then we can have peace after I've won. Or, uh, when you're about to lose, you cry uncle. Uh, uncle, uncle, peace, peace, peace. Uh, let's, let's do peace. Um, but this morning we're looking at uh, a, a, maybe a different understanding of peace. Uh, as I was preparing, uh, one of the references that came up was Philippians 4, which Paul says uh, that peace surpasses all understanding, which is... When you're preparing for a message on peace, that's kind of intimidating because how am I supposed to convey something that surpasses understanding? So, so we'll 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 try to see if we can get you to understand peace a little bit this morning. Um, so I, I, Luke had a video prepared for us, uh, and I thought we'd go ahead and, and start that out. It's from Bible Project, and it goes through. What is peace, the definitions of what that might mean? So, Cameron, if you want to go ahead and start that. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. 
and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Okay, let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to look at your word this morning and the promise of peace and the implications of that that it has in our lives. I pray that you would be with me as I give this message and may my words be yours and uh, keep mine to myself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, the video does a nice job of defining peace, or reine or shalom. Um, it's bigger than the absence of war or conflict. But however, uh, the video used the, this illustration of completeness by using the illustration of the wall and pieces missing. Uh, and, I, and for me, it doesn't... That is all true and correct, and I don't want to discredit the, the video or its position, but to me that doesn't capture the seriousness of the situation uh, that we find ourselves in. Um, the, for me, a better illustration, if we're going to use a wall, is that we, uh, as humans, would take a brick out of that wall and throw it at God. Um, that is... That is the rebelliousness. That is the the uh, an illustration of the the situation that we are in. We are not in this situation passively. This situation didn't. We just didn't find ourselves in a situation of disarray. We are actively rebelling. We are actively in this situation. I, I think of a of a of a of a situation of someone who is in in jail. Um, they weren't in jail passively. Uh, they robbed the car. They, they, they did violence to somebody to be there. Um, we aren't in our situation of, of uh, disarray or, or uh, shall I say, war with God because we just happen to be there. We are active, active participants in this. And it gives to my, my first point is that we are at war, an un, unwinnable war. Um, War is always justified by an act uh, of perceived evil or injustice, an act of aggression. We, we define them as uh, an evil enemy, and uh, we act to justify that situation. They are seen as evil, 
and despicable. And sorry to break it to you, but we're that people. We're despicable. We're, we are evil. And uh, we look at what David has to say in Psalm 53 about this, and he says, um, there is no one who does good. There is no one who does, not even one. And Paul echoes this in Romans 3. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have known not. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And he adds this in Romans 8, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In war, there are consequences, death and destruction. And if you lose, you could be ruled by another, another country, another person, another government, or even face death. There are serious consequences to this war that we face with God also if we continue in this war. Jesus tells us this war is going to, to end, or how this war is going to end. And in Matthew, he talks about and those who will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but, can, can, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And Paul adds, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, there are more passages that the consequences of this war is that there is hell. There is death that awaits us. There's more. I think you get the idea. There are real consequences for this war that we find ourselves in. But what about the law? Maybe that was a way that we could possibly, if we're obedient to the law, we could possibly uh, be out of this situation that we find ourselves in. The Pharisees tried that. And I, I'm reminded of the, the, the story of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus in Luke 18. He came to the, the rich, young, or rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good teacher, before, as, he, as he started to approach Christ with his question. And um, he said, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus immediately says, there is only one that is good. Why do you call me good? Um, the rich young ruler is coming to, the, to Christ as a way to find out if he could be validated for all the things that he did to obey the law. He, he said, Jesus says, do, do all these things. He recites the commandments. And the rich young ruler says, I've done all of these things. And uh, is there still anything that I lack? And um, Jesus says, well, you sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And he went away sad. And that story, uh, traditionally, we, we, we see that as uh, it is difficult for the wealthy to submit to God, which is true. That is all true. But recently, I've been challenged to a deeper understanding of that story in that we all could come to God thinking that if we were obedient, 
if we obeyed all the law, that we would be good enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just like the rich young ruler. Uh, we could, I mean, his, his problem was that he couldn't give up his wealth. Um, but it's more than that. It's that if God had his wealth, he would give it up. He would give it all to the poor. So when compared to God, he, he, could, not, he could not equate to God's generosity. Does that make sense? In that uh, your goodness cannot compare to God. And, and however you, whatever it is, um, if, uh, if we were to say, um, what, if we were to come to Jesus not wealthy and say, well, what must I do to be saved? Give every single second of your time to the poor. Is there, is there, a, is there any possible way that you could say, oh, I could give every second of my time? No, and compared to God, he does give every second of his, his time. So it is an illustration of how short that we, are, we come to the perfection of who God is. Um, and I don't know if, that makes, if I've made that to make sense to you, but uh, for me, that was a, a, something that, um, that went beyond this idea of just it's, it's hard for the wealthy to enter into, God, into the kingdom. And if you remember, the conversation that took place after that was... Uh, it is easier for uh, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for, uh, for a rich, rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were like, stunned. Well then, who, who can enter the, the kingdom of God? They seem to understand there's something else going on here than just the wealthy man who had trouble giving up his wealth. And they understood that if if this person who obeys the law continuously cannot get into the kingdom of heaven, what hope there is there for me? And Jesus says, what is impossible for man is possible with God. And in the Christmas season, that's what we see as happening here. Most of us, thankfully, have not experienced the consequences of war uh, in the way the world, like world, uh, as these countries experience war in, in World War I and World War II. How and how it affected the country and world. It's hard to understand the uncertainty, the anxiety, the dread, the weight of loss, and the ugliness of war. But it also means that we don't fully understand the joy and excitement and relief of peace at the end of war. That's my next point, is God provides a mediator to end the war. God had a plan to fix this hopeless situation and restore shalom. This is the joy and excitement that comes with the birth of Jesus. The headlines could read, the war is over. God had a plan, and from the very beginning, he had this plan to restore this conflict and restore shalom. And we see this in the prophecy of Isaiah. For, uh, for us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And then it happens, just at the right time, as Paul says, God enters into his own creation as a baby. And we see this in the, the, the account in Luke of when the angels came to the shepherds. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. Now if you notice in this in this uh, account, the angel does not say peace to everyone. This peace is for those whom he is pleased. And Paul says something that's very consistent with that. And I, I mentioned it earlier. For this for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For, in, for the mind of that is set on flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this peace that is being announced is only available to those who are in Christ, not for, as Paul says, those who are in the flesh. In Romans, it says, For while we were still weak and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, God died for us. And this this last point is there is peace if you are in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you ever thought, I, I'm reading a lot of scripture today, it just, it just comes, uh, that's how I study. Uh, I, I, there may be thoughts in between, but it, it, it comes uh, through scripture, uh, points that I don't know how to say better than scripture says itself. <laughs> um, and I wonder, have you ever considered Romans 8, uh, a Christmas passage? Uh, Romans 8, 5 through 8. Therefore, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And again, and maybe this is a better Christmas passage, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace 
to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. Merry Christmas. For the Christian, we have been made righteous and a relationship has been restored to completeness, just as the video was talking about. Daily, God is sanctifying us. The Spirit reveals in our lives that which needs fixed and restored. This shalom that we have is so different from the world, it stands out because war looks different than peace. Our lives are complete in right relationship as God intended. We are not at war anymore. We are experiencing shalom, and this should be obvious. God's commitment to peace resulted in Jesus humbling himself, taking on the form of a creature he created, and purposely allowing himself to be tortured and killed to redeem us. We are his followers. We are little Christs. We display his character through the work of the Spirit that dwells in us. We display the shalom in our church family. Paul says, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We display shalom in our communities and the world. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them, Paul says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We are peacemakers, shalom makers. We don't live in fear. We live with confidence and assurance. Jesus says in John, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Are you beating your swords and spears into plowshares and pruning hooks? What areas of your life are you still at war? Are you experiencing the shalom that God has provided? If you want to end the war, today is the day. Repent and come to him. Experience his shalom. Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Prince of Peace has arrived, and the war can be over. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity and this time of the year that we can celebrate the beautiful plan of your coming to end this war uh, and, and begin a shalom in your, in your spirit. And we just pray that you would uh, help us in this time, help us... Uh, continue to praise you and see that the, the marvelous things that you have done for us in this, this act of, of humility and servanthood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.